One of my favorite things to do, as many of you know, is to read missionary biographies. And not only missionaries, but also just the, the godly women and men of the past and of the present. And one of the things that you quickly find out when you read them is that they are just set apart. And, and I don't only mean set apart in terms of, of gifting or some sort of anointing of God, but I mean set apart in, in, in the way that they think and the way that they live. They are not bound by the cultures in which they lived. Hudson Taylor was this missionary who just thought differently about being a missionary in China in the 1800s, and he adopted Chinese dress so that he could he could fit in with the people and suddenly was received in a different way than he ever would have been before, in a different way than any of the other missionaries were, even though the other missionaries that turned on, on him and, and criticized him for it, the Chinese people just loved him. Billy Graham came to to prominence at a time of with two others who were also evangelists and and maybe others would have said that that those two men would have gone further than Billy Graham but even as they fell off in the course of time Billy Graham with his godliness the way that he followed the Lord but also his perspective on what it meant to be a, a, a Christian leader rose to prominence in a different way he connected with presidents in a way that people hadn't before. He, he could speak to the issues of the day in a way that people hadn't before. Large crowds flocked to him, even as, in his words, he would make a beeline for the cross in his gospel presentations. When we look at, at others, whether it's Charles Spurgeon or so many other uh, great uh, men of the faith, or Lottie Moon and so many other amazing women of the faith, what you will find in instance after instance is that they are walking with the Lord in a way that's different. Their intimacy is deep with Him. Their commitment and dedication and faithfulness is powerful. But there's also something set apart in the way that they are not bound by the culture that they come from. They are bound to the scriptures. Their life is different. The way that they function is different. Many of them were considered outcasts at time. Others were criticized. In fact, it seems to me that almost all of them went through periods of heavy critique in their lives, but they stayed so grounded to the scriptures and lived out who God had called them to be. I've always had this incredible example in my own life of my dad and and my mom and this allegiance to the Bible that they they taught to my two sisters and me from the time that I was a kid and and I grew up just loving the word loving the word of God esteeming the word of God holding it high valuing it cherishing it and having this undying allegiance to it the word of God is central nothing else compares to it it is central in our lives and I'm so thankful for the way that my dad and my mom have lived that out and given that example to me that I, I hope now Sean and I are passing on to Allison and to Timothy and to Titus. An encounter with the Word of God is a guaranteed encounter with the Holy Scripture, with the Holy Spirit. 
An encounter with the Word of God is a guaranteed encounter with the heart of God. An encounter with the Word of God is a guaranteed encounter with the way of God. It is where we find our hope, our direction, our peace, our joy, and our power. The power of the Holy Spirit, not only to change us and transform us, but also to spur us on to the work of God that He has for us. We live in a crazy time in this world. You have all types of political divisions, racial issues, COVID-19 issues. We've got hurricane after hurricane for those of us who live in Houston. We have all types of challenges that are just assailing us. But one thing is sure, the Word of God remains the same. And it is where we find our grounding. And I think today, as we consider Matthew chapter 12 and continue our journey through the book of Matthew, it will be an opportunity for us to pause and reflect on the things of eternal worth. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, last week, uh, we heard from the first several pass, uh, uh, verses in the book of Matthew um, about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath and how the disciples were going through the grain field and they were picking grain on the Sabbath and, and all that you heard last week. Today it's about a man with a withered hand who's healed on the Sabbath. Both of these stories are really significant for us here in South Sudan and the discipleship training we're doing with the church leaders. We uh, build out story sets uh, for those who are oral, as most of them are, oral learners. So they're learning the stories from the scriptures. And both of these are very significant stories underscoring the reality that the people are no longer bound to the laws of the Old Testament because Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. So here is the Sabbath as an example saying we're just to follow Jesus and his leadership in our lives. We no longer are bound to the laws of the Old Testament. Now we learn from those laws. We honor those laws. We see that God cherishes the Sabbath. And so you know, we do the same. Why does he cherish it? One reason is because he cherishes rest. And so we want to honor him with rest in our own lives. But we see that ultimately Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So we're not following a set of rules or laws, but we're following our Lord, who is Jesus. And both of these stories do a profound job of underscoring that. Let's pick up uh, today in verse 9. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. It says, He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. So his hand was not working and perhaps it seems like it was quite clear that his hand was somehow withered. And they asked him, that's Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now remember, these are teachers of the law. And Jesus has come into the synagogue. So he's there with the Jewish people where the Jews would have historically worshipped. And the teachers of the law are still in this Old Testament type of mindset. Really for them it's just a Jewish mindset of following the law. And they want to know what Jesus, this radical rabbi, this radical teacher, has to say to them. So they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Why? So that they might accuse him. They were probably fearful of Jesus. They probably felt threatened by him. They were looking at ways to get to him. And so they wanted to trap him in the law, which would have been their expertise. Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? Who has a sheep? If it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. 
Of how much more value is a man than a sheep, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Okay, here's Jesus. I, I love how Jesus does this. He so often answers a question with a story. It would have fit the culture in that time, but it's also a powerful, non-confrontational way to also be a bit direct. So Jesus says, if a sheep falls in, aren't you going to pull the sheep out? So aren't you even more going to want to help a, a human who needs it on the Sabbath? Of course, the answers are resounding. Yes, that's what you should do. But here were the teachers of the law who were just stuck in their own tradition. And not only the tradition, but the culture. Because teachers of the law would have been bound together with the other teachers of the law, and they would have been helping continue this culture that is just replicating itself as they're bound together in a system that they should not have been bound in anymore because Jesus, the Messiah, the one who completed or fulfilled that system, had come, but they missed him entirely because they were so bound up in their culture and their tradition. I think this has huge application for those of us today influenced by the American culture. You know, in my, in my own mind, this is just my opinion, but it feels to me that something shifted with the onset of COVID in our world. If you trace it through 2020 and 2021, a number of cultural issues begin to take prominence in a different way. And, and, and really the, the cultural response to those issues, in my opinion, almost seemed to be accelerated um, on a public scale. And that's happened with uh, gender and I gender identity issues, uh, race and, and, and racial issues. Uh, it has certainly happened with, uh, with COVID-related issues. Uh, you could even say in, in, in some regard with economic issues. So there have been a number of different ways, these issues and, and more that have become wrapped up in a society that suddenly in 2020 stuck people at home and even to this day we're not as engaged one another as before there's more of an online presence people have more time to think and reflect and if you throw all of this in one pot a lot comes out and and that's what's happened with the pain and the suffering and can i say a lot of fear so much fear with all these issues. So you just take all these emotions and all this context and the whole scenario, you put it together and so much is developing in our culture. And you almost get the sense that, that we as a people don't quite know who we are. We knew who we were before COVID happened, but, but who are we with this work from home culture and stay at home and can I get close to you or not? I take my mask off, but then I find out tomorrow that now I've been exposed to COVID. And so I wanna get close to you, but can I get close to you? And I feel fear, what about me? If I'm exposed, what about my, my kids? And then that just develops into, uh, well, what about all these thoughts related to race and what does that mean? And What's truth? I read this article, I read this other article, I'm at home more, so I'm reading more, I'm absorbing more, I don't even know what to think anymore, and then what do I do about all these gender issues, and all these identity issues, and, and how do I begin to process this, and what in the world am I going to do about my money? Is the stock market going up, or is it going down? And those are all the questions through 2020 into 2021. 
And we are a people, if we're not careful, who will be so influenced by culture because our fear is driving us to the culture rather than driving us to Scripture. And as we've gone through this series this summer of normal Christianity, one of the things that Steve and I were hoping and, and praying deeply is that it would be just a gentle but clear reminder to our church that our hope is in the Scriptures, that our grounding is in the Scriptures, that we can fight the fear and the influence of culture by being grounded in the Scripture. Now, so much about culture is good and right and honoring to the Lord, but what I'm specifically referring to is the way that, that culture may push against biblical grounds and we go along with it just because it seems like everybody else is going along with it. And I'm afraid that's what the Jewish teachers of the law were doing. They were somehow caught up in it and they were perpetuating it themselves because they believe so adamantly in it, and it would have been such a huge offense for any of the teachers of the law to break away from that and believe and do what Jesus was teaching. Now, you and I will read it and say, well, of course you should pull a sheep out, and of course you should help a human who needs it. This is a, this is a no-brainer. We may not even think twice about it, but for the Jewish teachers of the law, they were so caught up in the culture, they couldn't think otherwise. If you and I had been teachers of the law in that same room among the same people caught up in the same culture, we probably would have believed the same thing. We as a human race are so intrinsically tied to our culture. And it's so important that we don't get 20 or 30 or 50 years down the road and suddenly our eyes are open and we look back on 2021 and we say, man, we were so caught up in these cultural issues that we we drifted from the scriptures. We no longer had the grounding and the peace and the security of the scriptures. One thing that, that helps me when I'm walking through shifting times like we're experiencing now is to say, what have I believed historically and why did I historically believe those things? What is orthodox Christianity in my experience? And if there's a shifting happening, why is that happening? Can I point to the scriptures and say, this is why it's happening? Or am I just listening to other people? Am I making sure they're really deeply grounded? One of the reasons I think this is so important is because in my own estimation, there's so much more coming down the pipe. This political divide in our country is likely to continue. And all the influences and all the streams that are are coming in. We, we know the issues we're facing today, but my expectation is that there are many more that are coming down the pipe. And we as a church, not only Hope Church, but just the, the American church and really the global church will have to hold to the scriptures so that we don't fall into the same trap as the Jewish teacher of the law, so that we don't end up in a spot where we're suddenly walking and in and doing things that seem as perhaps absurd to us as the Jewish teachers of the law's actions when we read this story so that you and I can make sure that we are just always pointing back to the scriptures and we're saying, well, I'm, I'm doing these things because this is what I see in the scriptures and in that I have peace and in that I have joy and in that I have rest. When culture drives us, we will always be on edge because we're always worried about adapting to the changes of culture. When scripture drives us, we live in peace 
because we're at home and we're at rest in the eternal word of God. So Jesus gave this incredible metaphor to them and then just picking up the story again in verse 12 of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good <clears throat> on the Sabbath in verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. It's not enough just for Jesus to teach. He wants to do. His heart is so full of compassion. What's powerful of this story, if you read the parallel account in Mark, so if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John <clears throat> all have... Uh, these parallel stories, sometimes the same story, sometimes different stories of the life of Jesus. And we, we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so one of the great things you can do as you're reading through the Bible is to try to see if the same account is there in one of the other books of the Bible. And, and Mark, the account in Mark, um, talks about how Jesus actually had anger in this moment. He had anger because he saw uh, their hearts and he was grieved by their hearts. This is the thing about the anger of Jesus. It wasn't just a, some sort of rage where he's flying off the hook, but it's an, it's an anger that's mixed with grief. He was so grieved at the stubbornness, the hardness of their heart, and out of that he healed the man. It wasn't an anger that just drove into a blind rage and he just stormed off. He was angry, but he was also grieved, and he also had compassion in that. He healed the man. <clears throat> he said to the man, stretch out your hands. The man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now we've done a lot of teaching in the past about, about healing. How, how could Jesus say, just stretch out your hand? He didn't even say be healed. He didn't even stop for prayer. My own opinion, this is just my own opinion, my own opinion on this is that, that Jesus just had a sense from the Holy Spirit that, that God wanted to heal him. Um, and that it, it was just that, that time for healing. So perhaps Jesus, um, out of his divinity, acting as, as God just told the man to stretch out his hand and it was healed, that's certainly a, a plausible scenario. But I tend to think that for various reasons that Jesus was giving us a model here, giving us an example that, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he was from the day of his, his baptism and that he was emulating uh, for us, he was modeling for us what, what we would need to emulate. And that was a, a sense of from the Holy Spirit that, that God was ready to heal him. And so he spoke to the man and he just said, stretch out your hand. This just encourages me and inspires me. I wanna long for healing like that. I wanna have a heart of compassion for that. And when I pray for healing, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna pray out of this desperation that's driven by fear. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're praying for healing and we're just, we're just so fearful of God not doing it and so we pray that way. But let's pray with desperation, maybe with expectation, or let's just walk in listening prayer knowing that God loves to heal and wants to heal and at any moment can speak anything to us. And in this critical moment, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. The man stretched out, was restored, healthy like the others, but look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. That's the thing about holding true to the scriptures. Many will oppose us, not only in today's age, but I think in the years to come, it will 
become even more intense, many will impose us. And many will put pressure on us to conform to culture and culture beliefs. They will claim that the things that we believe are, are cold-hearted or irrelevant, old-fashioned, ignorant. But it's always been that way for those who have followed God, those who have really walked in His ways, those with gentleness and humility, but strength had hold for, have held firm to the truth of the scriptures. Jesus would eventually lose his life because what he was holding to was just so radically different than those Jewish traditions. Even though, again, today we look at it and we say, well, of course what Jesus said is true. But are there other areas where we're tempted to shift, where we're tempted to conform to scripture, I mean, to culture, perhaps because we're afraid of backlash on us? We're not afraid of losing our life like Jesus did, although many in other parts of the world are. But for us in the States, we're, we're fearful of something that to many of us may seem worse. Our reputation, maybe, getting bashed, people saying negative things, uh, people uh, writing us off. And so Jesus gives us an example here of just walking in the way that's right and true. Following Jesus is, on the one hand, this this glorious enterprise, this incredible relationship and experience with living God. And on the other hand, it's just so simple. The simple allegiance to the truth that has always undergirded those heroes of the faith, even when it set them apart from culture. And we ourselves want to walk in the culture in a way that's wise. Again, many parts of the culture are honoring to God, and, and we love that, and, and we want to contextualize who we are in the way that's that applies to culture but never shifting from this grounding in what is right and true Jesus aware of this verse 15 he was aware of the fact that they wanted to destroy him so he withdrew from there now that seems like maybe a point of wisdom I don't I don't know for sure but it seems like because he was aware of that maybe he withdrew, wanted more time for ministry. It wasn't time to, you know, rile them up more. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. It's just so powerful to me with Jesus. His, his heart was just one of healing. His heart was, was deeply to see holistic transformation happen in the lives of the people. Not only believing what's right and true, that's where it starts, but also experiencing a a deep healing, and ultimately, of course, a complete salvation. When you follow Jesus' story, he's always teaching and healing. We've said many times he's walking in the proclamation of the kingdom and the demonstration of the kingdom, saying this is what the kingdom of God is like and demonstrating this is what the kingdom of God is like. And in the kingdom of God, you find the heart of God, and this is the heart of God, the truth of who God is. That's the proclamation, the teaching. And the compassion and the love and the mercy and the grace and the power of who God is. That's the demonstration and, and the healing. And Jesus embodies all of it. And hope, family, I hope and pray that we as a people will remain faithful to both. We will proclaim diligently, boldly, and clearly and humbly. But we will also demonstrate boldly, clearly powerfully and humbly and we will walk in the truth of the teaching and the healing 
of Jesus. I just want to encourage us as a church too. It's it's easy for us, since so many of us were raised with an emphasis on teaching, but not an emphasis on on healing, that many of us, or most of us, have a, a mindset, if you, if you need healing, you go to the doctor. That's what the Western world believes. Yet again, we're influenced by our culture. And, and of course, that's right and true. I mean, my wife's a nurse. I, I'm obviously all in on that, except that let's first turn to the Lord. Let's first pray and and cry out to him let our first thought be of god and not the doctor and and in those times when we when we wrap our arms uh, around those who are, are sick let let's pray fervently for for god's healing just just yesterday i had flown with uh some of the missionaries from Involo and uh, we went to uh, uh, one spot and dropped some of the missionaries off and then we flew to the next spot uh, to drop some of the other missionaries off and I had the privilege of of, uh, of being there and and it, it was just powerful as one of my brothers was was leading the discipleship uh, training there and uh, oh my heart was just full but we finished that time we were walking out and uh, one of the guys from that area called out to us and he said as you return to Mvolo Please pass this message to the missionary who came last time. He said, please tell him that when I talked to him last time, I was in such a bad spot. I have so many people in my family. I didn't have any income. I didn't know what to do. It had been two years since I had a job. And he said he prayed for me and ministered to me. And then suddenly overnight, God worked radically. And I got a call from Juba from the capital that there's a new organization coming here and I'm the first one they want to hire for a job. And I just rejoiced in the greatness of our God. He works like that. Loves to underscore the teaching with the miracle. Loves to underscore the proclamation with the demonstration. Hope family, let's lead in for that. Let's continue to pray and to fast for the power of God. He wants to do it. That's his heart, that's who he is. Let's pray for him to move in great power in our midst. For so many years uh, in our hope journey, as I would go around Houston, people knew I was traveling back and forth uh, to South Sudan, and, and I would have the privilege of, of getting to, uh, you know, to share about what God was doing. And, and people would say, wow, you're seeing so many miracles there. That must be amazing. And I, I would say, yeah, but I, we're seeing even more miracles i think in houston i think we're seeing more miracles at at hope church than we even have in south sudan now that i've spent so much time in south sudan um in in these recent uh months and and years uh so much continues uh to happen here and obviously i'm here to see a lot more of it but that's the rate at which god was moving uh there in houston and and continues to He's a great God. This is who he is and this is what he does. And just want to implore us as a church not to drift back to where we were. It's like a rubber band. And the culture in which we were raised or in which we've long been exposed will try to pull us back again and again and again. And so we have to continually remain diligent in our prayers and in our focus. And we see someone who's not feeling well and we say, let me just pray for you. And let's just pray for the power of God to to touch them and, and to move. 
there's never a failure when you pray. If, if you or I pray and someone doesn't get healed, that's, that's never a failure. The only failure is not, not trying, not going for it. But the healing itself, we leave that up to the living God. And when we do, when we lean in for that, we're leaning in for the heart of God. Because God loves to heal, he loves to move. We're basically opening the door for him to reflect his heart to a hurting and broken world that so desperately needs it. Jesus, aware of this, verse 15, withdrew from there, and he followed him, and he healed them all. <laughs> Radical. This is the heart of God. He loves that, and ordered them not to make him known. It seems that some of them were beginning to realize who he was, maybe fully comprehending that he was the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one, the Christ, or perhaps just recognizing that he was set apart. There was something different about him, but either way, it wasn't his time. Again, probably why he withdrew from the teaser of the law, and again, why he's ordering them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. Again, this messianic um, a, a series of verses here. My servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is a quote from Isaiah. And if you've read through uh, the Gospels and you've read the account of Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That's the voice from heaven. And you can see it reflected uh, right here in Isaiah all those years earlier. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So this prophecy by a Jewish prophet was that the Messiah, the one who was to come, would also influence uh, the Gentiles. If we're tying this in as a messianic uh, prophecy, his servant whom I have chosen. Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. I love this. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. You and I live in a world these days that just has layers of fear. There's COVID that's been a fear over our uh, society for a year and a half now. There's um, other more temporal fears like bad storm that just came through this week. May have fear about what our kids will be exposed to. May have fear about what our health is going to do in the future. We may have fear about politics or or race, or, or some of these uh, gender issues. We may have fear about where our society is, is headed and what it will look like for our kids and our grandkids. We may have fear about our finances. We may have, have fear uh, over our family. We may have fear with our job. We may have fear with so many things, and, and fear maybe just crashes down on us. And our society is so gripped by fear in so many ways that it's easy for us, even in the church, to feel that. But in his name, we have hope. That's the beautiful part of what Isaiah writes here. In his name, 
the Gentiles will hope. And unless some of us are from a Jewish background, we are at least largely a Gentile as a church, and we have hope. All of us, Jews, Gentiles, hope in Jesus, in the Messiah, the one who was to come, the one who is the ultimate set apart, the one who came to bring a new message, but also a new healing, the one who touched souls, but also bodies and lives, the one who has inspired us and commanded us to walk in his way, in the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom the ones who should be a reflection of hope to Houston, Texas and beyond. I am praying that in these days, like never before, we as a church will live into our name. We will be hope as we reflect the hope, the Lord Jesus to, to Houston and, and beyond. And even when, when things come into our midst and they, they try to unnerve us or, or affect us or, or somehow uh, sway us, that we will just stay true to the scriptures, true to who we are, and true to who God has called us to be. Hope family, I love you so much. I am unbelievably thankful, beyond words, to be a covenant member at a church that I love beyond words, to be right here, right now, in the midst of everything going on, to be a hopeful, and to be able to walk alongside you as the Spirit of God does His work in us and through us is exactly where I want to be. Let me ask you to stand, our music team and our prayer team to come up to the front. I am so encouraged that in the midst of challenges like we face, we face it together. And we have that mutual encouragement. We love one another, we care for one another, and we remind one another just to stay true to what matters. Today, we want to invite you to come, guests and covenant members. Um, maybe you are really battling that fear or, or dealing with pain or, or, or concern about an issue in our country, our world, or just in your own life. We want to invite you to come. Guests and covenant members, please come. We'd be so honored to pray for you, our prayer team would, and to get to walk with you. You are so loved. Let me just pray over us now as we go into this time of worship through singing and worship through prayers. We have an opportunity to respond and let the God of hope fill us with his hope yet again. Father, thank you for the unbelievable privilege and joy of being with our Hope family today. I'm just so thankful, so thankful. And Father, I'm so encouraged today just sitting on your scriptures and with such a powerful reminder of this is who we are. This is our grounding. This is our peace. This is our peace right here. In the midst of a world with so much going on and unprecedented new challenges, our peace is here in the scriptures. You're on your throne today as you have always been. You will be again tomorrow and the next day and the next and in all the days to come. And we rest in the arms of a loving, compassionate, merciful, sovereign, and powerful God who calls us back to the scriptures to remain home in there and just to walk faithfully with you. God, will you enable us to do that? And as we do that, we pray that we'd be grounded in what we believe and also grounded in what we do that we would walk in our minds and in our actions in the way of the scripture, in that, in that grounding in the scriptures that also results in 
and praying for your power. So your love and power and mercy are on display. And even as, as Jesus would teach them, he'd go heal. We would believe and teach what's right and true, but then we'd also walk in your healing by your power and for your glory. We are weak, but you are strong. You are the one who does it in us, and I pray that you do it even right now. And as people come for prayer, men and women, and maybe even some of our youth or, or hope kids, anyone in our space right now coming for prayer, that you would touch and you would move in great power. God, we again may feel weak, but you are strong. You are the one with the power, and we pray that you'd move. May your love, your compassion, your mercy, and your power be on display in our Hope family for your glory now and always. We love you, and we worship you. All things are for you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.